Burrow is a furniture company known for timeless design and thoughtful construction, and free shipping, and that extends to their outdoor collection. Their outdoor furniture is built to withstand the elements, featuring rust-proof stainless steel hardware, weather-ready teak, and quick-dry foam cushions. For Memorial Day, get 15% off your Burrow purchase at burrow.com slash ACAST and up to 25% off outdoor. That's up to 25% off outdoor furniture at burrow.com slash ACAST. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Flames Nation Radio, Episode 5, an episode that hopefully will not be out of date before you listen to it, unlike last week. Uh, I'm Ryan Pike, your host, here with my co-host, Shane Stevenson. Hi, Hi everybody. So, uh, we're, brought, we're brought to you by our friends at DoorDash. They're lovely people. We endorse their products. They're not just sponsors, they're friends. Uh, one person who is not a friend right now is Jack Eichel, because he got traded to a different divisional team. Uh, all all sources indicated that it was down to Calgary and Vegas. And unfortunately for Calgary Flames fans, he went to Vegas. And I mean, if I were Jack Eichel and I had to go from the balmy climb that is Buffalo, New York, where I have a wrecked up neck and uh, a strained relationship with my employers. And then I just get told, Hey Jack, you're going to get the surgery you want to have. And we're going to pay you good money in a tax, uh, an income tax free state to play in one of the nicer NHL buildings before one of the more in- insanely uh, passionate NHL fan bases. I mean, good for you, Jack. I mean, that's just, I, it's, it's hard not, as, as, Grumpy as Shane and I both were individually and collectively, as to, we woke up, looked at Twitter, and went saw Elliot Friedman professing that he was going to the the Vegas Golden Knights. I think both of us separately and together went, "Good for him. That's good. You know, good for you, Jack." The the, the first thing I did was I went ah, because I realized that we hadn't even dropped last week's podcast, and like we like like we said, he was gone. And then the second thing was just relief because it was done. <laughs> it was just it's over he's a golden knight and all the rumors and the bickering and the and 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 even the fake rumors that were released they're presumably fake we don't i don't have any actual insight uh everything it's all over saga's on team's on a roll move on and i was just relieved yeah i, I would rather rather would have had him obviously but uh and at the price that he actually paid for i mean calgary never had the cap flexibility ever to make a deal like Vegas made with them. I, I, I think, I think with the math be in between, Tuck, between Tuck and, uh, and uh, Peyton Krebs, I believe Vegas ate like they took, or uh, Vegas sent like 5.6 or 5.7 million in cap yeah. hits out and Tuck's I'll, I'll injured. So Puckpedia, but something like that. Puckpedia, but 
but it was it, it, like Calgary, like, yeah, Vegas t- or Buffalo took on salary or sorry, uh, Vegas took on more salary, but they're perpetually in LTIR with their injury situation. At I, start of the season. I, I think Puck PD indicated that if everyone's healthy in Vegas, there's something like $10 million over the cap. They have like, I think 91 point something. I mean, Kelly McCrimmon is a wizard. The The gentleman he used to run general manager is currently their, the cap guy in Vegas. I forget his name. Yeah. It's Tom something. Really nice guy. Very bright. Very smart. That's his problem. General manager. It's, it's Tom's problem to solve. And in, when they did the media veils, uh, Kelly McCrimmon, former Brandon Wheat Kings general manager, really nice guy like Kelly. Uh, Kelly McCrimmon flat out said, maybe we'll never get healthy because maybe they'll never get healthy. And if they never get healthy, they don't have to deal with the whole problem. That's, oh, luckily the cap goes away in the playoffs, as the Tampa Bay Lightning can tell you. And yeah. such is such is how the CBA works. I mean, uh, will will uh, will Kelly McCrimmon be going around decapping people just to stay cap compliant? I'll just say this: there is nothing in the CBA that says you can't kneecap your players. I wouldn't recommend it if you want to keep players happy and signing in your market. Maybe you should injure them on purpose. Not that he would. Kelly McCrimmon would not do that. We're just saying there's, you know, much like there's nothing in the rule book that says giraffes can't play football. There's nothing in the rule book that says you can't kneecap your players to maintain cap compliance. That said, I we mean, just we just highly recommend against it. It just seems seems with all the stuff going around nowadays that maybe 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 just don't is our it's, recommendation. It seems like here. something that <laughs> it seems like something that would be fed to the league in terms of. Hey, some bad, some bad stuff's going down. So, anyway, good for Jack. I mean, would have been would have been fun, but good for Jack. I mean, you know, the Flames, the Flames had Yarmir Yager for like a month, six weeks or something. That was fun. Forever, forever, we'll have a goal scored as a Calgary Flame. It, it, uh, someone retweeted it to the timeline the other day, and it just baffles me that the guy that. It, it, as it stands to me, Yager is a top five player of all. This is time. like what it was what three or four years there. ago now. Three yeah, or four years ago. Yeah, and he just yeah, just a casual rush off the wing, got the pass, put it by the goalie. Everyone in the entire province was smiley because Yarmy Auger scored a goal for the Flames. It was, and that was, was that was fantastic. part of that was part of a multi-point game for Yarmy Auger against the Detroit Red Wings. Uh, mm-hmm. He scored. He set had the primary assist on. Mark Mark Jankowski's first NHL goal that was a rebound that went in off his pants. I mean, they all count the same. Uh, and yeah, Brett Kulak with a beautiful outlet past the auger. But you know, hockey's fun. I'm sure Vegas is gonna have fun. We with- have a lot of good players. Our team on our I think the team's still doing good. They got points in in uh what is it? 10 of 12. 10 the of streak, 12. The streak is over. Rip the streak. I, I- I was hoping it, it's so hard to get to 10 and the record's 13. And I was just like, this is like, I was, I was rooting for him. I was like, this is like, this could happen. They're playing really well. And then they're as the title of my last beyond the box score said, there was a hill in the way. Now they, they gave up a bit. I'm, I'll talk about the San Jose game. here. They did run. It feel like that third period was maybe the worst showing I've seen them. But they, they the seemed like they're out of gas. The second was all them. Yeah, they seemed the like second they're, was all and, them. And, and, and let's they, let's be completely honest here. I mean, I don't like using the term trap game, but let's be completely honest here. The San Jose Sharks basically, you know, 
two thirds of the Sharks and one third of the San Jose Barracuda because of the COVID outbreak that San Jose is dealing with right now. But full marks, I mean, San Jose has a good farm system. They had enough plug and play guys in there who knew their system and knew how to play. And they're well coached. They didn't give up a lot. They did their, even when the Flames had that deluge, the Flames didn't get a lot of tips on Aiden Hill. They didn't get a lot of bodies in front of Aiden Hill. Aiden Hill played really well. He was probably the best player on either team, but the, the, the Sharks did a great job playing in front of him. They played a very simple road game. And then in the third period when they went, oh, crap, we're still – we could win this one? They, they won they the third They got period. their bounce. They got their bounce too. Where that yeah. talk up, Zadorov stick, that, that's just uh, – that happens sometimes. Like yeah. you can you can be sound structure. Like I don't, I don't know if it was uh, – I think it was this two years ago to start the season. Every goal – no, it was last year because it was Markstrom's first season. Every goal that went by them for the first four games deflected off a skate or a stick in a random happenstance. That, like, that, that's how they started their last year. Is everything bounced the Canucks? I think they started against the Canucks and they had a game against the Jets in there. But everything went like they were playing really sound hockey to start, and then everything just bounced in the net the wrong way. And you know what? That happens. You're not going to win 82 games. That that that's a you know they they played okay. You know. If that's the loss, if that's the worst loss of the season, then they're in a really good spot. Yeah, like they, so. I, m- much like the first regulation loss they had in Edmonton, they played just poorly enough to lose. I mean, they were in a position in Edmonton where they just took too many penalties and the power play of Edmonton killed them. Against San Jose, they were playing against a scrappy, desperate team and weird stuff happened. And even with Jacob Markstrom allowing two goals in, in uh, at even strength, his five on five, straight save percentage is an like 956 so it went you from, only let in two it went from being like, miraculously improbably high to merely very 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 high sergey Bobrovsky is the only goalie who's played more than a game who has a higher five on five save percentage as of this as of this recording so i mean he's yeah. crashing back down to he'll, he'll the, the the we'll get we'll get into we'll get into this there's ebbs and flows this season and all things being equal if like the for for those of you who aren't huge into uh regression and advanced stats here's the here's the theory behind when we say regression to the mean so there's you know there's 32 teams that have 32 different talent distributions for goaltenders and 32 different talent distributions for the skaters and they play 32 variations of more or less the same system but they do it in varying ways so if talent was equally distributed in goaltending and uh, and uh, skaters, and everyone was equally good at shooting, if you played an infinite amount of games, everyone's PDO would be one. Granted, that they don't play infinite games, and talent is not equally distributed. Uh, <laughs> the NHL is not a uh, a communist state. It is not, you know a fair situation some teams are just better than others so the the theory is right now the flames i think are still first by a country mile at even strength save percentage if if you factor in their system that that you know takes away a lot of secondary chances and keep lanes open in front of markstrom if they're doing it properly yeah they probably realistically if markstrom's a decent above average goalie the Flames should be top third ish in terms of safe percentage, just because of structural elements like their system and their goalie being pretty good. So the fact is Markstrom's on a heater right now. The heater will eventually cool down, but it's not like he's going to become like an 890 goalie 
overnight. Even if he has a bad week, his numbers are strong enough that he probably wow. won't crash down to earth completely. And, and and they're playing sound defensively in front of him. Like their structure, you'll notice they're if you if you watch the Flames play and the other team is breaking out through the neutral zone, you will see that that winger, whoever the first forward back, they are back checking. They are always back checking. They're there. They've got their man. They hardly anything has been created 12 games in off the rush. I don't have the even, like, I can't even recall a true rush goal and, because they don't give up odd man rushes. Ever, and and, like and their, their worst defensive games are the ones where like San Jose, the first period. And I think the third period, they had some issues with breakouts. It was just passes, yeah. not quite making it. You can make it a it's case. Not, they were like that in all three zones against San Jose. I'd say their three toughest games to date were the Washington one, and Washington's a good team. The Dallas game, because I and I really feel like uh, Dallas and they, they operate and have a similar philosophy to the way the Flames play, and they just got outplayed. And then San Jose, which I believe they're out of gas. And you can maybe throw Pittsburgh in there as like, but that was also the end of a giant road trip. Uh, they've been fine. They've been more than fine. They've been better than I anticipated coming in, and I thought they were going to be a playoff team in the Pacific. Now let's, 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 let's stress that in the big Pacific. A, big, big asterisk there. Yeah. Yeah. So, but, but I, I, I think, you know, we'll, we'll, I think the, 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 the impressive thing to me is that like I mentioned, I sort of alluded to it, you know, the, the, most teams play very similar system systems wise and the NHL is a copycat league. There are, it's a small world. I, I, I made a joke in the press box the other day that literally everybody in hockey knows each other. It's like, there's 200 people who work in hockey and everyone knows each other. Uh, there are no secrets. So at this point, 10, 12, however many games in, everyone knows what the Calgary Flames is going to bring you, which is great. You know, that means they've been consistent, but it also means they know how to, they, they come in and know what the game plan is. So the game planning. Yeah. Maybe I, th- I think probably after the first five games, what they went on that road trip, halfway through that road trip, teams had a book on them. But the fact is, you know, I think the the Dallas and I think the Philadelphia game to me, the, the first game back from the trip was the most impressive game to me in terms of the Flames because Philadelphia came in going, we know exactly what you're going to bring us. We're going to be better at you at it. And the Flames went, nope. And then just sort of wore them down. down. The Dallas game was like that too, where like the, the, the Flames didn't play perfectly, but they wore them down and got that, you know, they got a couple, they got a late goal to force overtime. Like the games where they, where they haven't been great, They've been good enough to wear teams down and be around. And, you know, if you puck luck aside, they'll probably be fine. Uh, I think yes, what this, yes. this week, what, since, since we last recorded uh, four, three overtime loss to, to Dallas. Uh, that was what, that was the game where they got sent to overtime on that really nice goal by Zadaroff set up by that really nice pinch and that uh, the, the pass by Shillington. Yeah. Like that gave, you know, Nikita Zadaroff like nine years to get that shot off. I mean, that was just a good game. Uh, the Rangers game was another one where the Rangers came in, you know, having been, I don't want to say embarrassed at MSG, but I think they came in and were kind of pissed off at how that game went. They came in and, with the game plan. And, and the, against the Oilers the night before, too. That's up up for one, too. We're, 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 we might be back in the Death Valley days. I mean, in, in the 1980s, Teams did not like coming out West. Vancouver was okay. Vancouver had some scrappy teams. Winnipeg had some fast teams, but if you came through Calgary and Edmonton on a back-to-back or two and three, you were going to just at the end of it, be like, let's just get the hell out of Alberta. And like, I thought Edmonton was very good against uh, the Rangers. They were very Oilersy against the Rangers in that 
they had to win six, five, and they had the horses to win six, five. They, you know, I'll, the, the boys up North will be happy. The bosses, the cast of checks, I'll say this flat out. Their bison King, Jesse Pugliarvi is, is legit. He's just, he's just good. And it's a team that, you know, they have McDavid, they have Dreisaitl, they have Nugent Hopkins, they got Tyson Berry, they got everything but goaltending. Add Hyman. Oh, it's so, been a revelation for them. But anyways. December, <laughs> was it December 27th, folks? December 27th, Calgary versus the uh, the Edmonton Oilers. Good tickets now available. It's, you're going to have to probably fight somebody to get the uh, to get uh, yeah. a ticket in a few weeks. So there, the Battle of Alberta games, last time I looked, the Battle of Alberta games were more expensive than when the Leafs come to town. And when the Leafs come to town, the prices are the most expensive. That's, that's going to be a, that's going to be a fun thing. So yeah, you know, overall, like the, the, the last week with the flames was basically a representative sample. They played, you know, a scrappy San Jose team that, you know, got good goaltending and some puck luck and happened to win with a couple of four, one, but it's two empty netters. So it's really a, a one goal game, uh, a Rangers game where they hung out and then wore the Rangers down and, and got a regulation win and a game where they weren't really playing great against Dallas, but they hung out, they hung around wore them down and got a point out of it. So, I mean, I think, you know, we were, we were going to talk about sort of after a dozen games, what's going well and what we'd like to tweak. I just think what's going well is this might be the most consistent I've seen this team play. And I can't remember when, I mean, since 18, 19, really. And even, even 18, 19, it was just, it wasn't, it was, it was pers- a lot of unsustainable stuff in 18, 19. This, this stuff yeah. just, it just feels different. It feels like they're doing smart, right things. They're always on the defensive side of the puck. They, like I mentioned, they always back check. If you watch when they do get stuck in their own zone, and I will say this, the center has a lot of responsibility on this team because when they get set up in their zone, the center has to cover as the third guy out of the corner, as well as be the third guy in the high as the wingers pretty much stay to the outside to be there for the outlet pass, but they clog up the middle, take away the shooting lanes from the middle and make them play with it on the outsides. Like they do, they're really structurally sound in their own zone and it breeds and it's just a quick breakout. So just as soon as the puck is blocked or loose, throw it to your winger and if it's if it's johnny gaudreau or manjapani it's getting out and it's usually they take two three strides the center comes in full swing by them they chip they give it to them and they go or they if the center's not there they get red line and they dump it and it's just simple effective don't mess up defensively you'll get your chances when they come offensively hockey it's just kind of to see it's something it's it's you know we in the off season the outlook was okay they brought in Brad Richardson, Trevor Lewis, Tyler Pitlick, who were all primary, even Zadorov, statistically, they were primary defensive. Their, their offensive instincts were lacking or not, not really sh- shining. But they, they brought these guys in, and they're, they're doing all right. They, they are. Um, the, the fourth line, I would like someone to drive play. I mean, presumed fourth. It's not the fourth by time on ice, but I'm referring to as currently constructed Richardson, Monaghan, Lewis. I would like to see someone push play a little more on that line. The, I'll, that, if I'll say talking this. Things that need to improve. I'll say this when, like, of all the lines, though, the thing I don't like about that configuration is they're not fast. Like they play, they, they play, they move the puck well. Like they're not, they're by no means a sinkhole the way the fourth line has been in the past. I mean, there has been iterations of the fourth line. You're like, why do you even bother playing them at times? This fourth line isn't bad, but they're not good. They're sort of just, they're there. 
They're well, they're the pretzels I, and the check mix. I feel like the glue. They were actually having some pretty good games, and I and I'm I, I'm finding the glue to that line was Lucic. Really, really, it really was like Lucic like kept them moving north south. He, he, Lucic is like Lucic, and I, I'll compliment Brett Ritchie here. They do the simple things right. They like Brett Ritchie. He has no intention of trying to do anything fancy. That puck is deep. That puck is out at the blue line. And he is defensively on that side of the puck. Now he's not going to be, you know, I know everyone wants this extra right winger there, but I'm like, sometimes that's what you do. and Manjapani have shown so far this year. They are extremely skilled. There's been games. The other game, I think against the Rangers, they had seven high danger chances between the two of them. They each got an assist. Like that's yeah. criminal. Like that's, that's criminal. That's just bad puck luck. But I mean, that's it coming back from managing getting all those goals earlier in the year. That's what we, you mentioned regression to the mean. It, it, it that's how it just works. He's, it, he's it, not going to shoot 40% all year. No, he'll no. shoot. He'll probably shoot around no, 20, but, but still pretty but, good. But, and, you know, putting loot sheets with them, it kind of filled the Richie hole of what Richie was doing and allowed them to keep finding success. But it's really hurt the Monaghan Lewis Richardson line. Like that, I know Richardson and Lewis put up an expected goals percentage under 10% that first game Richardson played. Like that's, that's pretty, they spent the whole time in their own zone five on five. That's just not conducive. It was Richardson's first game in a long time. I'll give him that. And Richardson is, the next game. Richardson is 36 and he has an injury history and he's, but you know, I think, you know, you mentioned Lucic, you mentioned Brett Ritchie. I think the nice thing for the Flames is, the guys they don't have, you know, I, I don't think it's rude to say Richie, Lucic, and Brad Richardson are not highly skilled players. They would beat the brakes uh, off of you and I in a, in a, in a <laughs> yeah. beer league game. I, I played a charity game against Brian McGratton, and Brian McGratton, bless his heart, one of the good human beings in the game. He would be the first to say that he was not, like, a highly skilled NHL player. He knew what he was. But he was also one of those guys that, you know, because he knew what he was, he knew what he was. And I think the, the complimentary players who have that kind of self-awareness, like if you listen to Milan Lucic's interviews, Lucic knows what he is. He knows what he needs to do. He knows what he isn't. He knows what he shouldn't be trying to do. And I think Brett Ritchie at this point, he's 29 years old, 28, 29 years old. He knows what he is. Uh, Brad Richardson at 36 is trying to stay in the league. He knows what, what he is. You know, so does Trevor Lewis. You know, so I think the Flames – if they've done anything right in terms of roster composition, would we, would it be nice to see some kids in those spots? I guess maybe, but I think the challenge is if you have guys who don't know what they can do or what they can't do, that's a, that's a risk. But if you have guys that know what they aren't and know what they can't do and know their limitations, then you have like groups of guys like, you know, what does Brett Ritchie do? He's a puck retrieval guy. What does Lucic do? He looks look like, like he looks like a human cannonball. Scores, barely scores goals. Yeah, like he he, he goals at an know, elite he, rate. Apparently, he, <laughs> he knows he has that good shot, and he knows he has the body that can crash and bang and muck around, and he has a type of frame that can withstand that. You know, Brad Richardson. You know, the injury problems aside in his recent past, I mean, he's a good puck retrieval guy. Trevor Lewis is good at sort of crashing and banging too. And if you're playing with a guy in Monaghan who has that shot, and you just need some guys to get it to him. That makes sense. So, I mean, you know, talking about the things that they've done well, I think they've just done a nice job with composition of the line because, you know, while like, you know, our, our, our colleague, Mike Gould, you know, screamed to the cows come home that uh, he'd like to see Blake Coleman get more and more minutes. And I, yeah, I agree. Like Blake Coleman probably, you know, he's a good player. He could probably play a bigger role. Blake Coleman's being really good at his role right now. Uh, 
Well, <laughs> that shutdown line frees up. And I, I think I, I don't know if I mentioned this last week or just in the chat, but that shutdown line is perfect. You, you put those guys out against the top competition. You're playing the Toronto, either playing against Matthews, whatever line Matthews on, that's fine, right? Then their best shutdown players play against the Lindholm Johnny line, right? Well, that's their that's their best two uh, points, best two matchups. That completely frees up Dubé Man Japani to just feed and just feed on what, whatever third line you have. If you think they're better than Man Japani, they're not. Andrew Man Japani is a certified top six forward talent wise, finishing wise, and in every way, shape, and form. I think as of feast as of this morning, course. I think of the players who's played a hundred plus minutes. He has the most goals per 60 minutes at even strength. Mm-hmm. Like he's, and that's a, that's mm-hmm. a list that includes Alex Ovechkin, Kyle Connor, uh, Vladislav Nemestikov. Like Andrew Mangiapane at 2.425 million is the most efficient goal scorer in the National Hockey League right now. Yeah, without a doubt. And it's, and, and, and it's because, and you know, Sutter says he uses his lines. Well, that's, that's how he uses them. You know, they, you know, I'll match up these guys against your top guys. You match up your guys against my top guys. And now since I've balanced out the attack, good luck, good luck with your depth trying to stop. And you know what? Dylan Dubé is looking naturally good at center. He, he, he's, his speed has, he's getting, he's getting better defensively. He's he's learning. He's a lot better than he was when he started. Uh Yeah. hundred. And, and I think, I think him being able, and Sutter said it the best. He said, you don't find success by just playing minutes. You find success by playing the minutes and finding success in those minutes. So putting them in a situation where they're consistently going in a great direction just bodes well for the development of them as players, and it bodes well for the success this team can have going forward. So, and you, and you, uh, were, you were mentioning that in the same vein. Look at how they viewed Oliver Shillington, where Shillington uh-huh. came in because Nikita Zadorov was either, depending on who you talk to, he was fighting the puck. He did not look good, but he also didn't look comfortable. I wouldn't be shocked if he, if he was playing through something and they just said, listen, guy, just sit down for a few games. And we'll see how you do. So they, they gave Shillington a chance with Chris Tanev, who is like a snuggly safety blanket of a defenseman. He's just good in all three zones. And he frees up Shillington to do a lot of different things. And I think, you know, Shillington, he looks like an assured player. He looks, you know, the sportsman's Peter Labardius uh, always talks about two things, confidence and good people. And Oliver Shillington looks confident. And he's like, he, he just makes things happen. I mean, he's, I believe the leading defensive scorer or tied for the leading defensive scoring on the team. He has no special teams time whatsoever. So, you know, after a penalty kill or after a power play, he's on the bump up shift with whoever's out there. He's played 16 minutes ish a night. I've been trying, I've been saving all the times with to do my charts. He gets about 16 minutes a night and it's all even strength. Yeah. And it's, it's usually pretty good. And, you know, it's like, he's, he's making smart little plays with the puck. He's not really getting the yips. He's not really getting panicked. He's just, doing smart things and you know ryan huska did uh the media on thursday morning i believe it was before the tuesday morning rather before the uh the san jose game and ryan huska you know had a really nice point where he mentioned he was he was asked about the the team's defensive rotation and like oh you know i i forget who asked for it but at base i think the, the gist of the question was hey you have a competition at defense like they have you know mike the last night the this healthy scratch for michael stone your right shot defenseman who's pretty good and uh, and uh, Yusuf Alamaki, your left shot defenseman, who's also pretty good. And 
the thing is, you know, he mentioned, he's like, you know, if you're, if you're a defenseman on this team and you have a couple bad games and you come out like, Hey, there's, there's options for them to take you out and put someone good in. And if you come out, the guy who's replacing you is pretty good. So you might not get in for a while. Like Yusuf Almaki had, let's be honest, a couple of games where he didn't look great. He wasn't, you know, I've seen him play worse. I've seen him play better, but a couple of games where if you want to say to me, oh, I think they're thinking of taking him out. I'd look at his game and go, yeah, I can see them doing that. But they put in Nikita Zadarov and Zadarov had a couple of good games. And, you know, at this point, like, you know, Zadarov's played well enough that it's going to be tough to pull out Yusuf Velomaki or put in Yusuf uh, Velomaki rather, right? This, yeah. This brings me to another thing I was thinking of, uh, compliments versus uh, criticisms. Uh, compliments to absolutely to Eric Branson. Um, yeah, I still have, have, you know, and here's the thing. I'm, I'm, compl- I'm going to compliment him on something I had zero intention of ever even thinking of before the season started. His play in the offensive zone has been exactly what they need. He keeps the play alive. He makes timely pinches. He's been doing everything offensively correct. He knows when to put the puck on net, and if he does, it's hard and it's low, so there's a rebound, and it either goes into the corner or the scoring chance. Like, good to him. I still have questions about his mobility and his ability to make passes in his defensive zone. I really feel like the quick transition game is still a problem for him myself from what I've seen. I've seen him get skated around um, in his defensive zone book as well. So like that that concerns me a and, bit. And but if there's one combination tremendously. If there's one combination of guys, you know, the, the my seat in the press box is on the flame side. I get to see them defend and attempt breakouts for two of the three periods. If there's one one pairing that sort of had challenges consistently breaking out, it was Zadarov and Gabranson. And mm-hmm. once they got out, they were just fine. But in terms of the the quick outs and the getting things going, in terms of generating things that led to neutral zone play, that led to offensive zone play, they had a lot of chip. They had a lot of plays that got intercepted at or just slightly before after the blue line. And either and that's the one area you don't want it. Like that's yeah. the one spot. Um, Zadarov, I've noticed uh, he needs to be in his own zone. He can uh, have like mini brain farts where he's trying to think of what to do. And then it just runs out of time and there's someone on him. Uh, there's a, there's a couple of times like that where he's looking, looking for a play, but he doesn't make the choice quick enough. And then there's the defender on him. And then he's got to just chip it behind the net and hope that no one gets it. But by that time they're usually caught in their own zone. So that that's one area him as well. Compliments offensive zone. He's been fine doing the exact same things. Like, like I never thought I'd compliment these two on their offensive play, but the flames forwards have done such a great job at transitioning the puck when they do get it especially Johnny Gaudreau. He's been a wizard um, as he usually is, but if we, you know, we, we, there's, we talked a lot of positives that that is a criticism for me. I do feel Yusuf Alamaki at his age. And if you want him to develop, you can't leave him up there for very long. Like that guy should play over 50 some games this year. If you want him to develop like the first round pick and he's got the tools and the skills, they are there. He, he does need game reps. You can't send him to Stockton. He's and, waiver eligible. And I, and I think the worst, uh, at all uh, all due respect to both guys, I think the worst thing in the world for Yusuf Elamaki was Oliver Shillington having the first dozen games that he had because, it's, like, it's a blessing. It's, it's going to be so difficult to take Shillington out or to drop him down because he fits the playing style like a glove and he adds elements with his moving and his confidence and his, his swagger on the ice. That's so few players forget, forget defensemen. There's few players in, in the organization that have the ability to be as dynamic as Shillington can be 
skating and ability is miles ahead of everyone's, even I'm Johnny's. I, th- I think in terms of being a pure skater, like TJ Brody at his peak was probably about as good. I think it's neck and neck. Again, I mean, recency bias. Like we're talking about a guy we've seen a couple nights ago versus a guy we saw for a better part of a decade. Uh, I'm trying to but, think of a historic example of how he moves and, and flows. And like, I'm trying to think of even like, he, he skates like a smooth forward, like like almost like Husalius used to, like just yeah. quick on his edges and back, but faster. But yeah, it's like, it's like it by the time, is, by the time you notice what he's doing, he's back to where, where he was. And you're like, wait, what? But he was on, I, on a rush chance the other night, had a chance from the side of the net. And then four seconds later, they went to like break the puck out dallas and he was on the blue line defending it and i was like how did you get back there how did you do that like it's just yeah. i i find myself asking those questions and similarly if, and if you know and like you said it's the worst thing that could happen to valamaki because now that's his spot out of the lineup and and but but i mean long term if if Chillington keeps this up and you can sign him for long term well you've got your top four set for next year so you're not really in a huge rush and you could use Bellamacki per se if you needed to say trade to improve your team not ideal for myself personally I'd like to keep him and develop him but I, I this is a good year for his development I, he he it's, it's the fact that he missed a whole season sucks he missed a whole year of hockey that's a whole year of development prime years to do so that that's just sucks um, it's unfortunate and, and, and I guess the Flames are lucky that Shillington is he didn't, as good. He as didn't he just did. miss a year, man. Like he missed, he yeah. had that high ankle sprain. So he basically, the first of his entry level deal, the first three years of his entry level of, of his NHL career, he missed a year and a half. And those are like the years, those, where are the, those are the prime years. The first year, the first two years after you drafted are the most important for your development. It's statistically been found. Um, yeah. and, I think the, two, and I think the first, the first two years, years pro too. Like first, yeah. first two years, the first first two years after you draft, you really need to project well, especially in the leagues. And then your first two years of pro, you can't you can't fall step behind. You're yeah. and you're, you're, you're sounding set. you're sounding like our friend Byron Bader of uh, hockey prospecting. I love Byron. It's good. Good, <laughs> I good know fella. He, he's a good guy. But he, I, yeah. I, I give him money yearly, so it's good. <laughs> no, but you're you're not wrong. I mean, you know, if you if you look at the guys, like you know, and Shannon Shillington is sort of a unicorn because he came over at eight. Like you know, we'll we'll, we'll we waxed poetic on the site in the past. We will continue to because it's a remarkable story. We're not we're going to be hearing about him all year. But I mean, Shillington's entire pro career to this point in North America because he's been playing hockey pro since he was 16 years old, which is insane to me. He's an eight year pro, but progress is not linear. I mean, he's, he was a 16 year old who they, everyone said he's going to be first overall pick or top five pick in the 2015 draft. And then he fell to 60th because in his draft year, he was, he was in the SHL. Then he was in the, in the juniors. Then he went to the U18s. Then he, you know, he, he kept getting moved around to different camps. He played the world juniors. Well, he was on the Swedish world junior roster in his draft year as an 18 year old, but he did not play a game. So he went basically a month in the middle of the season, not playing a single game. And then he was in the might, he was in the Austin scan and he was in the U18. Like he, his draft year was basically, it would be, it's very difficult to get put together a book on him because out of a hotel room for a year as at at under 18 at 18. Yeah. Away from home. No COVID, no COVID, no COVID living out of a hotel room. 
I, there was a great piece by Sean Shapiro once. Uh, he did it with Gavin Bayreuther when he was with the Dallas Stars. And he followed him around for a day. And he was a call-up. And he wanted to learn the experience of what a call-up stay is like because, you know, they don't have regular homes because they might be sent back at a given notice. It was at The Athletic. It was a tremendous, if you can find it, I recommend going to read it. It just, it just highlights the experience of these call-up bubble guys and the uncertainty of their day-to-day lives. And yep. how they try to find a schedule amongst it. And Oliver, you're saying, like you're saying, Oliver Shillington had to live that at 18. So remarkable stuff. And then the Flames got him at 60th overall in the last pick of the second round. So, I mean, but even he came over to North America. He was, you know, they basically told Ryan Huska, teach this, this kid's great with the puck, teach him how to play defense. And they did the same thing with TJ Brody. When Brody came, broke into the NHL, he played, uh, I remember there's a minor controversy because he was wearing 66 and everyone's like, oh, I can't believe a guy wore 66. This is outrageous. The, the, the equipment manager gave it to him. Like, it's not really a controversy, but, you know, he he played a dozen games or I think less than like six or five or six games. He looked fine. He looked kind of lost in the defensive end. They sent him down to the American Hockey League, parked him. They uh, they had him play on a defensive pairing with uh, veteran AHLer Joe Piscula. I always remember Joe Piscula, one of the one of the yeah, one of the, I lo- I love the minor league guys who were just there. but you know Joe Piscula's job was to teach him how to be a good defenseman, and it worked. They did the same thing with the uh, with uh, Oliver Shillington, and he became you know a very good AHL defenseman, but he couldn't really figure out his he couldn't find his footing in the NHL because the NHL is a tough league to plan. But so it's anyway. This is a, our long roundabout way of saying. You know, positive, hooray for Oliver Shillington. Negative, yeah. what do you do with Yusuf Alamaki? And it's it's nothing that Val, it's I don't think it's really a negative about oh. Valamaki. It's just for the the role that they seem to want the third pairing to play. The buried in the defensive zone for zone starts, glassing out defensive situations. You know, hold on to the game by the skin of your teeth kind of thing. Lean on guys like Zadarov and Goodbranson are the best suited for it of the guys. And Michael Stone's good at that too. I think Michael Stone, you know, he's not as good as Goodbranson to start the season, but he, if, he only really played one game and he was pretty good in that game. If anyone on the right side gets hurt, Michael Stone is getting plugged in 100%. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, and you know what? And, 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 and I think I've said this before. He's the perfect guy. He can sit. You know what he is. You don't have to develop him. He can sit in the press box and eat the popcorn. He can do the skates on his own. It doesn't phase him. It's, Mike, Michael Stone. To him. Michael Stone it's is perfect. the Richie Lucic Richardson Lewis of the defensive group. He knows exactly what he is, and he's good at that one thing. And can he do more than that? Uh, I don't know. Why? It'd be kind of weird to ask him to do more than that because he's, you know, he's he serves that need for you. So I mean. Does it make a chance? Like the other, the other thing I want to bring up, and granted, you know, you and I were talking off air. It's a really dumb criticism, but you play Dan Vladar twice. He, you know, I think he needs to get more reps. Granted, the guy he he be spelling off has four shuts shutouts in ten games. So, albeit he hasn't lost. Yeah, I mean, like, like, yeah, and I mean, I mean, I'm, we're I'm we're gonna, gonna see him it. on the road trip a bunch. We're gonna see him on the road trip I'm a bunch. Not... So it's a dumb criticism, I know. I'm I'm like I'm not gonna really like if you think back to the Washington game I don't know what goalie would have stopped that Ovechkin shot like Ove- Alex Ovechkin I think someone said he's burnt 160 goaltenders in his career at this point when he beat Spencer Knight Spencer Knight was like 160th goaltender like just ridiculous like, yeah, Dodd, like the, don't the, bad for, by that you, you, you got get, the yeah, win you get torched <laughs> by a first ballot Hall of Famer and the other year's strength goal I think he gave up 
uh, was uh, the oh, defenseman. I forget his name, but it was a good shot. Uh, the defenseman jumped into the rush, and the Flames were. You have a, a defenseman. Oh, Ber- Fairberry. It was Fer- Martin, yeah, Martin Fairberry. First, first NHL goal. Yeah, Martin Fairberry uh, coming up the wing on the outside. You know, made a nice shot, and I think that he got a clean shot off because the defensemen are going. Well, here's Bachman and Ovechkin coming out the middle. We're just going to guard them. Which, you know, if you look at that, you can't really fault the goalie on that because it was a good shot. You can't really fault the defensemen because they played it right. So what do you, you know? So I, and you know, I'd I'd like to see more. I'd like to see more Dan Vladar. We'll see more Dan Vladar. We got seven game. It's it's a what a perfect lead in fact. We got a seven game road trip, longest of the season coming up with two back to back. Seven games in eleven days in seven different cities. In in eleven days, which is like the oh what what is are we in last year again? Like are we are we in are we in it's short season again? We kind of are, man. It's an Olympic year. There's gonna be they're off for three weeks in February, basically. So they gotta play three games in February the whole month. so. So friends. I, as someone who works in media, you know what I love? I love 5 p.m. starts. 5 p.m. starts are magnificent. And, they, you know, you can, they, you, you, you make, you, you make some, you make some, an early dinner before, uh, before warmups, you turn on the game. It's a 5 p.m. start. The game's over by 7.30. You have your interviews and your everything all filed before 8 o'clock. And then, yeah, I mean, it's 8 o'clock on a weeknight. There's not really much to do, places to go. I mean, we're still in a pandemic, but you know, if, if you're, if you're, if you're done all your commitments by eight o'clock, you know, it, oh, yeah. it's just beautiful. It, it makes, I do a lot of data gathering after games to do the book beyond the box scores and uh, the five, I, I, the Eastern road trip they did earlier. I found out, I was like, Oh, I really like this. I'm done before I'm done. I like, I could be the opposite. I could finish. And then I could make a late dinner if I felt like it's just, it's just wonderful. Why not uh, both have a, have a snack, they, have a small snack before a snack afterwards. It, There's really no bad answer here. The great start that they had, it, 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 this, this could have been death Valley. This, this could have been, if they were two, five and three or something, two, five and five right now or something like that. And they were about to go on this seven day, seven even, days, even if days. they were 500, even yeah. if they were 500, this this road trip could be like the early oh crap they've some interesting points on it. they'll be the first ever team to play in the islanders new arena like well, hold on. let's let's let's, uh, let's walk it through it really quick so remembrance day thursday 5 p.m start in montreal in the bell center against the habitant uh montreal has not had a great season they're let's All just three. say struggling uh Carey price could be back could I don't think it's. I don't think so. he's, he's. I don't think he's skating yet. Low percentage chance. Low percentage. Uh, then journey to the center of the universe. Five p.m. start on a Friday night. The Flames play the Toronto Maple Leafs at uh, Scotiabank Arena in Edmonton. Uh, and I want to hear as much again the love from the fan base. That is the Hockey Hall of Fame game. It's going to be a nice game this Friday. And and this is this is the this from again the weekend, folks. We yes, love him. Uh, show him. Show that Boston area man all the love. Then Saturday is an off day. Go do something. Go to a park. Go for a hike. Enjoy your family. Sunday is another good one because it's a 3 p.m. start in Ottawa, uh, you know, uh, against the Senators. They are who they are, but we get to see Brady and Matthew fighting for their parents' love. Maybe their sister will come in there and just beat them both up. Apparently, according, according to the brothers, the sister is the most competitive of the three of them. And that's that, that says a lot. Of her, he said. Matthew has said he's scared of his sister. 
So that is that is she, uh, yeah. She I think she plays competitive lacrosse or something. Like she's legit. Like I they, like she they could probably pick story, up hockey very quickly. They did a story on her, and the brothers came to watch, and it was hilarious because they did interviews after. And Brady and Matthew weren't playing, and they were tanked, and they were trying to ask them questions. <laughs> it was it, it, if you can find it on YouTube, that's pretty funny. But it, it, Brady was it, I think Commodore says in one um but uh anyways <laughs> and uh monday monday our friends at tsn i believe have the uh the hockey hall of fame induction for jerome again one of the greatest player in flames history leading leading point getter goal scorer games played guy basically if there's a record of note for a skater in the national hockey league for the calgary flames it's a jerome mcginler record or maybe tim hunter for penalty minutes uh so yeah, man, it's just going to be that man could run for mayor of calgary and he would win undisputed uh, without any political experience that man is owns the city we love him i i grew up he was personally since i have the platform to mention it uh the amount of times when i was a kid playing road hockey on the street out front of my house the amount of times i passed the puck to jerome mcginnell for a gold medal winning goal was a lot uh looked up to the man myself he he helped me become love this game so much i'll, I'll, I'll say this it. you know they always say don't be your heroes Jerome McGinley is not my hero. I have other heroes. But Jerome McGinley is someone, as a hockey player, I had a higher degree of admiration for before I started covering the, the, the Calgary Flames professionally. Jerome McGinley is the, like, he's as good and nice and just calming a human being as you're ever going to meet. No one in or outside the, the organization really has a bad thing to say about him. Even the guys he fought in the playoffs, mm-hmm. even the guys that he, you know, beat up, just everything you know, the man did first he, ballot I, Famer I, in every sense of the word the best story i've heard was there was kids waiting for autographs and none of them got anything signed and jerome was the last one on the bus and he got on the bus he would he said, not what are you doing get off the bus he's like everyone get off the bus and go sign some autographs and remember, everyone remember, without hesitation cleared the bus and went out and they all signed these kids autographs the, we, we, we could do a whole second podcast oh, yeah. about how great jerome <laughs> is uh the the uh, the 2010 Olympics with him running into having running into those guys who were sleeping in their car and getting them a hotel room that he paid for in his ho- in the hotel he was staying in. Um, what else? Uh, Trevor Linden's last game, making sure that everyone on the team came out and showed Trevor Linden's hand at the end of his career. Like you know, just just a good you know good he, human being. He gets it. He gets it. Like there's 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 some people that you can say some people just get it. Jerome McGinley just gets it. And it's it, and we love him. And love he's, him. T- he's taking everyone in the fan base. Take to social media. Show him all the love. He he'll he'll be taking some time off from his job, coaching his son's team in Kelowna to go get his officially enshrined. His plaque's been up since uh, last year. They weren't able to do a ceremony. They're doing the ceremony this time, and they get the ring and the pomp and the circumstance. So well deserved. That'll be a fun evening. I believe it's on TSN, but check your local listings because there's like 19 TSN channels. Um, there's only like seven sports in that channel, so it's harder to get confused. Uh, and then the road trip continues. Uh, the last game before our next podcast will be the second of two games against the Philadelphia Flyers this year. Uh, and then after next week, we'll talk about Buffalo, Islanders, and Boston. Uh, the Islanders game will be in a nice bit of continuity. Uh, Tuesday night, 
uh, Tuesday was the 50th anniversary of the Flames franchise being awarded. Uh, so the, cool. in, in, yeah, in 1971, the, the, the NHL knew the WHO, actually the week before, literally eight days before, uh, in 1971, uh, November 1st, 1971, the, the World Hockey Association said, we're coming and we're going to have 12 teams. And, you know, pro hockey players are like, yay, more jobs. And the NHL is like, oh, crap, more, you know, competitors. So the NHL, because they wanted to keep – they had brand new buildings coming in uh, on Long Island in Uniondale, uh, the NASA Col- the NASA Memorial Veterans NASA. Coliseum, uh, the grand old buildings. It's, it's uh, close for hockey now, but it's still up and running. And the Omni in Atlanta, they at the time were brand new. They were they were just about open. The first event in Nassau Coliseum, I believe, was an Islanders game. The first event in the Omni was an Atlanta Flames game in October 1972. But the idea was... The, uh, the NHL was terrified of the World Hockey Association getting into those shiny new buildings. The WHO is largely planning on playing in like secondary buildings, like, you know, Max Bell Center equivalent, like not bad buildings, just small buildings. It, it makes it hard to do. It makes the revenue generation tough. It makes the economics really, really tough. And if you're if you're playing in small buildings, you can't pay your players, but the NHL is paying their players. So it's hard to get your players and you're going to go out of business very quickly. And eventually the WHA did. They only lasted about seven or eight seasons. But so the NHL, uh, the week after the WHA, the WHA on the first of the month said, we're coming, we're going to have 12 teams. And here's where the teams are. So the NHL the next week went, well, we're going to have more teams too. So the NHL at the time was 14 teams. They added a 15th and 16th in Long Island and in Atlanta. At the time, they didn't have ownership groups. They just had buildings. They say, we're putting teams in this building, in this building. Uh, Tom Cousins, uh, the brother of the guy who ran the Atlanta Hawks at the time, the Atlanta Hawks had arrived and they were going to play in the Omni, which uh, Tom Cousins was the developer for. Uh, it was a city owned building in Atlanta. Uh, they ended up putting like some cool metal on the outside that they thought this will look cool, but it rusted to hell. They didn't really think it through very well. But it was a really cool, gorgeous building that did not age very well. Uh, but yeah, the, the Atlanta Flames got the franchise. Tom Cousins, who was the developer of the building, uh, was given the franchise. So he ran it for a few years. They did okay for three years and they ran out of money because shockingly the team wasn't great in Atlanta as the Atlanta Braves will attest to. If you're not drawn, if you're not doing well in the standings, you don't draw very well. Uh, so the Atlanta Braves have had that challenge. The Atlanta Hawks have had that challenge. Thankfully for the Hawks and the Braves, they've been better. They've been pretty good teams for most of their lifespan in Atlanta. So they've managed to make some decent money. The Atlanta Flames and the Atlanta Thrashers, not so much. And shockingly, neither is there anymore. Uh, but yeah, so the anyway, that's a long way of saying the yeah. first game, the very first game in the NASA Coliseum, the first event in the NASA Coliseum in 1972 was a Flames game against the Atlanta. It was the Atlanta Flames with the New York Islanders. So it's kind of cool that uh, the first event in the new UBS arena at Belmont Park uh, is the, and actually this, the, the, this is the last new building that's opening in the NHL before the Flames new building. So uh, we, you know, uh, it, last month, uh, a couple weeks ago, we saw the uh, the old Key Arena rechristened Climate Cha- Climate Pledge Arena in uh, in Seattle that opened after its very very expensive renovation. It's a gorgeous facility; they paid out the nose for it. But that building opened. Uh, you know, UBS Arena took a little bit longer; they just finished it off. So that's opening November twentieth. That's the very first event in that building is the. A mirror the very first event in the Nassau Coliseum, Flames and Islanders. Cool. It's kind of cool. I mean, it's such it's, a cool bit of history to me. And I think it's kind of cool. Like you know, you know, it's 
there's many reasons to criticize the NHL. There are very good reasons to criticize the NHL, and those reasons will per- persist, and so we'll continue to criticize them. But when the NHL does these cute, fun little things, I think it's worthwhile to be like, okay, it's might it's, have the NHL has. Such- they have a lot of things that make it challenging to be a fan that when they do little things like this, that, that make you go, well, that's cool. I mean, yeah, we'll, we'll acknowledge them and we'll just beat them, beat the shit out of them on the other stuff later on. But I just think it's cool. So we'll talk. A to, bit- to me, this is as cool as, you know, Jeff Merrick for two weeks wouldn't stop talking about how he wanted the a, a metropolitan banner raised in climate pledge. And then they this did it. Like, and then they did it. But this to me is like also just like a little bit like that's just something you can fun fact you can say to your friends and you're like, did you know that Flames played the first game in Nassau and the new arena? And because it's the Islanders and the Flames, two of the stingiest defensive hockey teams in in the game, uh, it's probably going to be an 8-7 overtime win for one of them. (laughs) Yeah. And I just think, you know, I think uh, I really hope when the when the uh, the Flames arena opens in was it 2024? I hope they do something fun with that because you know it's a, you know it's this is the this is the sandbox this is the the toy box of of news like there's the most of the stuff we talk about isn't hard hard news it's you know cute stuff and fun stuff and occasionally there's some some non fun stuff we got to talk about so I think it's kind of nice when we do get a chance to sort of have fun with things uh, 1983 oh yeah so the, the the first I believe the first regular season Flames game in the saddle of 1983 was a battle of Alberta. So, you know, guys, when you, when they, when they opened the building in uh, 2024, there, we got it settled for you. And I, I ran it on Twitter a bit too. I want the first home game, first game of the season for the Flames and Oilers to be a battle of Alberta. I want the last game of the season for the Flames and Oilers to be a battle of Alberta. And then spread Just like, always spread be like, that. yeah. And have them, you know, have the rest of them equidistant throughout the season. So we don't have to wait too long for, for them. Cause that's have just a, fun. Have a new year's, It'd just be opening game, closing game, New Year's Eve, find one in February. <laughs> like, like, like that, that would just be like, if you knew that, that those were going to be the four Battle of Albertas and you rotate and you always rotate here, there, here, there, just. If, if you want to, if they want to be clever with it, do one, do one on the, the Saturday closes to Valentine's Day and just theme it. Yeah. Like, that'd be cute. Yeah. Come on. Like that, do, that, that's perfect. NHL, listen to us. Me and Pike just solved the scheduling do, problem it, for all if, of the if, Battle of Alberta. If you do, if you're doing four, because I think they're th- with 32 teams now, I think they're doing, they want to do four divisional just games. Four. So you do just opening four. night, closing night. Uh, you do one either immediately before or immediately after Christmas. And you do one right around Valentine's day. And you, you rotate who hosts what, but you know, home away, home away, whatever. Away, home, away, home, doesn't matter. I just, I just think Sportsnet or, and TNT or ESPN could do a lot of fun things with a Valentine's Day Battle of Alberta. That'd be beautiful. Wouldn't it be broadcast? Oh, yeah, it was McDavid, so they probably wouldn't. But ESPN have the, if it's two Canadian matchups, I don't know. I, they if have the, the... If ESPN just wants ratings. So if the teams are good enough, they'll, they'll, they, they'd, uh, yeah, they paid enough, they paid enough money. They could probably do what they want. So that makes enough. That makes sense. <laughs> So anyway, yeah. we, we well, talked about this fun one. Yeah, this it's been gonna... a fun one, Pike. I really like this one. Yeah. So yeah, and uh, you know, we'll be we'll be mired, we'll be uh, in the second half of the, the road trip the next time we come at you. But uh, you know, thank you, thank you for listening. Uh Flame Station Radio is brought to you by DoorDash. So be sure to check them out. Uh thank you for joining us for episode five. I'm Ryan, he's Shane. Thank you very much for listening. We'll catch you next week.
A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible Resistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.